Huckabee. Congressman Mark Walker shoots straight on the political war in Washington. Comedian Bob Stromberg brings the laugh. And the voice, Sandy Patty performs. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And Thank you very much. We got a great audience here tonight, and we are so excited to have you joining us on this edition of The Huckabee Show. Now, there is a reason why I increasingly hold the mainstream media in contempt. It's because they have destroyed the art of journalism, and they've replaced it with biased advocacy for the left. There was a time they at least concealed their partisanship. Not anymore. The number of true journalists whose stories and reporting don't tip their hand as to their own political leanings is a very short list. I'm going to give you a simple way to determine if a person in the media has crossed the line from journalism to commentary. If the story is about you or something or someone that you like, and you can tell whether the writer or reporter likes or despises the person being discussed, that is commentary. But when after reading or viewing the story, you honestly can't tell what the opinion of the writer or reporter is, that, my friend, is journalism. Look, we need a fair and objective news media. It's vital to our great republic. The press is supposed to be like referees in a ball game who may privately have opinions, but they keep those subjugated so as to simply state the facts and let the consumer determine what they mean. They're essentially like the guys wearing the stripe shirts, trying to keep the game fair by insisting everyone is playing by the same rules. But when the guys in the stripe shirts start wearing a team jersey and they openly cheer for one side against another, the game is rigged. I mean, a little over a week ago, President Trump signed the USMCA trade agreement, a historic deal that replaced the job-killing NAFTA and which was so profound that it was actually passed by an 89 to 10 vote in the Senate. Think about that, 89 to 10. It was a truly bipartisan bill that had overwhelming House and Senate support from both parties. USMCA stands for United States, Mexico, and Canada, and it fulfills a huge promise made by Donald Trump when he was a candidate. He pledged to get rid of NAFTA and replace it with a trade plan that puts everyone on the same level and stops so many American jobs heading across our northern or our southern border. But how much time did NBC, CBS, ABC, and CNN, and MSNBC devote to this truly major deal that will have great impact on American farmers, manufacturers, as well as you, the consumers? How much? Zero. Not one second, nothing. They never even mentioned it. Oh, they were frothing at the mouth about impeachment that by any reasonable standard is based on political bias, utterly manufactured charges pulled from the blue sky and carried out exclusively by Democrats as an overt attempt to overturn the 2016 election that Donald Trump won. 
So here's a question. How can you get information that's trustworthy? Let me offer you a few tips. Number one, never take the first breaking news as the story. Too many reporters and networks had rather be first than right. Number two, discount, even disregard stories based on anonymous sources or high-level officials or senior advisors. In fact, so-called whistleblowers, more often than not, are smoke blowers. And let me be clear. I don't care where you get your news and information, even if it's Fox News, where I'm still a contributor, if they're touting unnamed sources or my sources close to the president, I tell you this, don't fall for it. It may even be true, but you should demand better. Know where it came from. And number three, if the story doesn't include a credible and knowledgeable named source to balance or counter the story, toss it in the trash. By the way, it's where a lot of modern journalism belongs, in the trash. But in the meantime, the media sure is missing some real important news. And that means so are you. And if we ever see real journalism again, then I'll quit talking about the New York slimes, the Washington compost, <laughs> CNN, which I say is the bottom-feeding catfish news network, <laughs> or BSNBC. Yes, indeed. Well, my first guest is a member of Congress. He serves North Carolina's 6th District. He's the co-chair of the House Republicans, ranking member on the Subcommittee for Intelligence and Counterterrorism. He's also a former pastor and worship leader. Would you please welcome a wonderful congressman and a great guy, Mark Walker. <laughs> congressman, it's great having you here. When you first decided to run for Congress, what was going on in your head? Well, I just got to the place I was frustrated with what I was seeing going on in D.C. And, I, you know, one of the things you never hear talked about in Congress was term limits. Yeah. So one of the things that we wanted to run, in fact, we even signed, was a set amount of time. Our founding fathers never designed for people to go to Washington State. In fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi, I was thinking about this today, I'm 50. She came to Congress the year I graduated from high school. That goes to tell you, there's, yeah. I think it's time for her to go. I think what it's time, think? yes. Uh, a lot of us think term limits would be a great thing. You, you were frustrated, wanted to see something change. What's been the biggest surprise that you've had as a member of Congress? Well, I, I think the first thing that surprised me is how many hands try to get in the cookie jar, how many influences, it really in the first two or three months. So you have to establish yourself, either you're gonna get swayed by lobbyists or special interests or even other things that are much more nefarious, or you're gonna set the course early on. What I realized is you had to do that almost immediately as opposed to getting down some wrong trail. That was the, the thing that surprised me the most is how bold some of those out outside influences are when they come knocking at your door. You have talked about that you're for term limits. Uh, you're one of the rare people 
that when you went in, you said you weren't going to stay forever, and you were leaving Congress at the end of this year to be true to your word and actually do what you said. We, we, we are trying to do that. Our district was changed as well. Uh, we are looking at running for U.S. Senate, and starting January of next year, met with the president and vice president uh, about a month and a half ago. Uh, if the president wins again, I believe we would have his support. But that is something that we'll be praying about through this year, seeing if we can make a difference, not just an argument, but to make a difference there in the U.S. Senate. I know that you're very close to both the vice president as well as to the president. Yes, You've sir. been to the White House many times, part of which because of your position as one of the uh, four ranking members on the Republican side of Congress. But it's obvious he likes you. Um, do you like him? I, I do. I, I love his candor. I believe he is exactly what this country needed, someone who did not come up part of the Washington or political system to be able to come in and speak truth. And I think yeah. he's done a wonderful job there. So. There are clearly people, especially uh, Christian people, who say, but he's, he's vulgar, he's vain, he's, he's all of these things that we're not supposed to be. So how, how do you answer the question when people throw that at you about this president? Very easily. We were able to get more pro-life legislation done in President Trump's first two years than Congress has been able to do in the last 40 years. Mm. Uh, I'll take whatever else comes with that all day long. Yeah. And I, I think also, no one's been a, a stronger champion for religious liberty, for Israel, for things that have mattered to many of us as believers. And, and, and I've said, you know, I don't pretend that Donald Trump could find John 3.16 with a Mark sure. New Testament if I handed it to him. Right. Uh, but he has done things that, that I genuinely appreciate. And it's not about him personally. It's about the policies that have been carried out, a lot of which are economic policies that have really benefited working class people in this nation. There's no question. And, and a third of the federal judges who were propped up by former left-wing progressive administrations have been overhauled and even changed under the first three years of this president. He's on record pace there, and I think that's going to change for generations to come. We are going to be now for several weeks in the midst of an impeachment crisis. You've saw it, you've yes. seen it firsthand of the House, and now it's over to the Senate. What's, uh, what's your big picture view, the 30,000-foot view for Mark Walker? Sure in this whole process. Well, remember, this didn't start uh, with a Ukrainian phone call. This started three years ago when the president was first elected. There were 104 House Democrats that voted for the president's impeachment before this phone call was even made. So this was pre-baked in the works to remove mm. the president, to try to stop him. Uh, I believe Mitch McConnell, I may not always agree with him everything, but I think he's handling this. He's gonna wrap this up, I believe, in a very quick manner. I, I wanna go back to the background. You were a pastor, worship leader. Uh, how did that better prepare you to serve in public service than if you had been, let's say, uh, you know, the owner of a local store? Well, first of all, uh, maybe not a lawyer because we already have 200 of those in Congress. So we need many? to start. Yes, there is. No wonder we're in trouble. <laughs> we need to start with that says else. it all right uh, there. But I think being a pastor, and I grew up as a pastor's kid. I wanted uh -huh. no part of it, pursued business and finances for about six years. But I think being a pastor, in fact, I, I believe there's no better education in the world. Mm. When you've walked with people from all walks of life, regardless of political affiliation, you've seen the ups and downs, the good and the bad, you've stood beside the bed of a, of a, of a passing loved one, and when that family looks for you for some words of comfort and wisdom, there's no other education or training in the world, and I think that equips you to be able to go into any environment and hopefully succeed. 
If you make a decision to uh, make a go of it and run for the Senate, when would you make that decision? When We're prob probably looking at this fall. My term uh, goes to January 1st of 2021. We'll probably make the decision sometime this fall and then move forward to early next year as we get moving on it. Well, if, uh, if you do, we want to have you come back. Even if you don't, we want to have you come back. What a delight to have you here, Mark. It's been my Congress. privilege. Thank you for your great work. Thank Governor. you. Thank you so much. Well, my thanks to Congressman Mark Walker. And you can keep up with him and his upcoming Senate bid if he decides to do that on social media at Rep. Mark Walker. It's there on your screen. Also, check out his website, walker.house.gov. Now, if you'd like to try more of my news analysis, be sure to check out Facts of the Matter, where I'm going to be addressing the defunding of Planned Parenthood and why drag queens really don't make the best library storytime leaders for young children. You think? Watch Facts of the Matter. It's after the show on Huckabee.tv. Keith Bilbrey, he's not running for anything this year, so we're going to let him tell us what's coming up on the show. Okay, coming up, conservative journalist Kimberly Stressel and the hilarious physical comedy of Bob Stromberg, plus best-selling author O.S. Hawkins and the voice Sadie Patty here on Huckabee. Next week, Dave Rubin battles big tech censorship, and Shonda Pierce shares the gift of laughter. Kimberly Strassel is known for her insightful Potomac Watch column in the Wall Street Journal, as well as her best-selling books and provocative television appearances. Her brand new book is called Resistance at All Cost, How Trump Haters are breaking America. Would you please welcome one of my very favorites, Kimberly Strassel. Kimberly, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Governor, thanks for having me. Your book is a perfectly timed book talking about how so many people, uh, both on the loyal opposition side and the media, are doing everything they can to upend the presidency of Donald Trump. Let's start with the question, why? Well, one of the points I make in the book is that for three years you've had this narrative that it is Donald Trump who is destroying institutions, destroying the country. But if you look back at the election, what you had was a group of people, both in the Democratic Party and in the media, who didn't just decide they didn't like this president, they decided he was somehow illegitimate, that he somehow was occupying an office he didn't deserve, and that they were therefore entitled to take any steps they wanted to to get rid of him. And, and that's what I call Trump hatred, and it's what drives this. You talked about in the book uh, that it's not just a matter of saying that his politics or policies are wrong. It's been a personal attack, calling him a racist, calling him uh, you know, a xenophobe using all sorts of, of really derogatory terms, that's really different than anything we've ever seen in terms of, of, of attacking a political opponent so consistently. Oh, absolutely. Look, you've been doing this a long time. I have. What normally happens when a party loses an election is that they step back, they do an autopsy, they just lick their wounds, and then they figure out how to come back and do better next time. This time they decided that they were instead going to impugn Donald Trump's victory, impugn him as a man. 
Um, and so they're normalizing these incredibly uh, aggressive terms, as you said, and that has been very, I think, frightening for the country because uh, it, it's not true, but also it, it's coarsening our discourse. This week, Kimberly, we're also seeing the launch of uh, this whole impeachment process now going on in the Senate after we spent weeks watching into the House. Uh, how dangerous do you think it is to make this the new norm, where if you just didn't win the election and you don't like the president, let's just get rid of him and let's upend the votes of all those people who in fact did elect that individual? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of things that they have done that has upended norms, hurt institutions, from the, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings to the Russia collusion and Mueller investigation. This is arguably, as you say, the most damaging because what it's doing is it's cheapening impeachment. And look at the very articles of impeachment they've brought. There is no crime mentioned. Instead, they are accusing Donald Trump of abuse of power. Well, I can tell you there are plenty of Republicans who could look pat at every past Democratic president and claim they abused their power. And if this is a standard we're going to set going forward, every time you have a president of one party in the Oval Office and a party uh, other than that in the House of Representatives, the first thing that's going to happen is impeachment. And, and that is terrible for our country. Are, are you concerned too, Kimberly, about uh, how biased the media has appeared to be? They, they give President Trump no credit whatsoever for anything that he does successfully, whether it's USMCA, the China deal, the taking down of uh, Soleimani. Uh, and, and, and you would think that this is a person who has failed every single day he's walked into the Oval Office. As a journalist, does it embarrass you or frighten you that there is no objective coverage to speak of. It discourages me. You know, it's funny, uh, Mike, I put the chapter about the media as the very last in my book, and it's my one regret. I now wish I had made it the first one because I have become convinced that if the media had been doing its job, we wouldn't have even had any of this happen over the last three years because we depend on the media to be guardrails and to call fairly balls and strikes. And when they don't do that, they allow one party to continue breaking the rules and pushing out those outer boundaries. If the media had done its job, we would never have had the Russia collusion hoax. We wouldn't have had special counsel Bob Mueller, and we wouldn't be having impeachment right now. And so this really, a lot of this does rest directly at its feet. You talked about the, the Mueller investigation in the book. There was a chapter devoted to it. Uh, that turned out to be a great big flop. There just wasn't anything there, and the Democrats had built their hopes on it. Uh, but that just didn't end. It just kept leading on to other controversies. How surprised were you that uh, the Mueller investigation, uh, with all those lawyers and all the $35 million, really came out with nothing? Well, I think for those of us who were trying to be honest and report honestly about this for the two and a half years that it went on, it wasn't much of a surprise because look, the entire or most of the foundation of it was based on an opposition research document sourced from a, a foreign country, Russia, uh, paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign, none of which had ever been proven true. So when that was the final analysis, it didn't surprise us. What did surprise me was just how hard 
Bob Mueller work to try to get someone on these grounds. Um, and they go through the chapter and verse, all the statutes they looked at to see if they could get someone in the end. They couldn't. That to me is even more of a victory in a way for the Trump administration is that folks were clearly out to get them and they were actually so squeaky clean they couldn't find anything. Well, Kimberly, I hope people will get your book, It's Resistance at All Cost, How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. It is a great and very timely book for people to understand not so much what they see, but what they don't see behind the scenes. And I think you've done all of us a great service by giving us that uh, background. The book is available on Amazon, as well as all your favorite booksellers. Be sure and watch for Kimberly Strassel's articles and her column, Potomac Watch, in the Wall Street Journal. Follow her on Twitter at Kim Strassel. Now, Keith Bilbrey has been quarantined over at his own little podium just so he can whet your appetite for what's coming up on the rest of the show. So, Keith, it's all yours. I got my shots. Comedian Bob Stromberg next turns loose. Then author O.S. Hawkins reveals the fashion code. And later, singer Sandy Patty performs here on McPhee. sure to go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. All right, my next guest is a sought-after speaker who shows people how to unlock their creativity. But he also creates a lot of laughs as a very popular comedian. We are proud to welcome the always funny Bob Stromberg. No, please be seated. <laughs> so great to be with you. Here we are in a new year. Time is marching on. We're all getting older, though we, we tend to not notice that often, unless we're reminded. I, I was recently. I, I had my 50-year um, checkup uh, a couple months, a few years. Actually, it's been nearly uh, two decades going up. <laughs> That's the checkup where the healthy person has their first exposure to the whole idea of the colonoscopy. <laughs> if I could just break that word down for you uh, briefly. Uh, colon, that's the last five or six feet of the large intestine. And oscopy, oscopy, medical term, Latin word, literally translated garden hose with camcorder. My doctor, who, who, by the way, has been one of my very closest friends for my whole life, uh, and, and also my doctor who has a, just a wonderful sense of humor, um, he was being a good doctor. He was telling me, explaining to me exactly what I would be going through in the procedure, but because of our relationship, honest, I thought he was joking. <laughs> so my response was... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> they are going to put me out for this, aren't they? He said, no, 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 Bob, you can watch the whole thing if you want. I, I said, no, I don't, I don't think I'm that flexible. 
Oh, then, then I had to drink these two big plastic bottles of this stuff meant to cleanse my digestive system. And I, I don't know how you felt about that stuff, ma'am, but I, <laughs> I found it to be very effective. <laughs> 3 a.m., I'm in my favorite place. My wife came in uh, with an empty bottle. She said, you did dilute this stuff, didn't you? <laughs> so, uh, that would explain it. Cleanse my digestive system, every other system. That I lost computer files that night. So. <laughs> oh, and then, before I got to the hospital, they said, be sure you drink, listen, 3,800 milliliters of water. So I'm Googling that at 4 a.m. It's a gallon. A gallon of water. I got to the hospital. The nurse said, uh, Mr. Stubberg, how are you feeling? I said, well, not great. <laughs> I just drank a gallon. Of, of water, can you, can you explain to me why I had to do that? She said, well, we're gonna do a urinalysis. We need to make sure we have an adequate sample. <laughs> How much do you need? She said, well, you need to, you're gonna uh, have to fill up that little plastic cup. <laughs> From here? <laughs> Kinda hoping so, cause otherwise this won't even be a challenge. Anyway, the whole point of the story is it made me feel old. And also it made me feel old, because honestly, the doctor may be 15. <laughs> His girlfriend tagged along. So they had their little white earbuds in during the whole procedure. It's like, you know, how rude is that? It might have bothered me, but they gave me this sedative uh, called, uh, uh, sure, I don't mind, go ahead, do whatever you want. <laughs> and th that got me wondering what general anesthesia must be like, because I've never experienced that. You know, or if I have. <laughs> my neighbor has, my age, he was playing basketball last winter, popped his Achilles tendon. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Do you know what happens when you pop an Achilles tendon? Rolls right up the bat. They found out behind his shoulder blade. They had him on a gurney. They're rolling him down the hall. They're gonna grab it, roll it back down, attach it. He said he saw one little drip of general anesthesia go into his hand, and he thought to himself, what if I'm one of those people it doesn't work on? And in a panic, he sat right up on the cot, looked at the surgeon in the eye and said, this stuff better work. And the surgeon said, well, I think it did, because we're all done. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Oh, that's great. That was great, Bob. Thank you. Uh, everyone who is uh, watching or who is in this audience who's ever gone through that procedure, <laughs> they're laughing, but they're also crying because you brought back some very unpleasant memories. That's cruel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you've said you're at that age yep. where you've, uh, you've been through that stuff. Yeah. You got grandkids? Oh, oh boy. Is there anything like it? No, there's no, not. It's the greatest thing in the world. I honestly, I did not even know I was emotionally capable of experiencing <laughs> what, what I did. And I told my two sons, I thought I loved you with my whole heart, <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> you, you do a lot of stuff for corporations and businesses on creativity. I do, yes. So yeah. what, is, uh, what is so important about 
the individual, not just a, a business, but the individual thinking about his or her creativity. We are made by a creator. Yeah, we are. We are. And so uh, made in the image of God, we are to emulate that. And, and, and the way we're to do that is through creativity. And I believe that some people have a natural gift for that. Uh, they just happen to be really good at it. But others have to work, work at it. And so there, there is a method. There is a, there is a way that all of us can improve and, and can, can develop those neural pathways of creativity. Are you able to sort of translate that to your grandchildren and, and help them to want to be creative? And... My, my, uh, yes, I, I, I try to do that. Uh, my... Uh, Oldest uh, grandson, when, when he was four, his name was Ben. Is still Ben. I was going to say, did you change it no, somewhere no, along the way? Or? He's still Ben. <laughs> he's still Ben. I remember he's having trouble with the bathroom rules in their house. He knew him. He just kept getting yeah. them in the wrong order. And his, his, uh, his mom said, Benny, why don't you illustrate the three bathroom rules? And then dad will frame them, hang them on the walls of the bathroom. You can follow your own illustrations. So this is, so I think we have, have one here. This is so great. Here's number one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that looks pretty much uh, standard. Now this is a, a picture. Well, we don't even need to talk about it, really. I think it's pretty clear. I think we, we get it. We and certainly this is do. This number two right. here. His hand on and, the handle. Yeah. Number three, washing his hands in that deep blue Minnesota lake water. Yeah. His mom was not happy with me because I told him, I said, you know, Benny, you probably wouldn't have to illustrate washing your hands in number three since uh, you didn't use them in number one. <laughs> Which I think illustrates another pretty remarkable gift this young man has. About 50% of you know how difficult it is to pull that move off right there. Uh, was there not an illustration with a mop involved later on? I mean, Bob, we're thrilled to have you here. Thank, Thank you for you. coming Thank and being so with us. Thank you so much. Now to book Bob for your event. Or hear his podcast on boosting your own creativity. Visit BobStromberg.com. It's on your screen so you can write it down, get the spelling right. You also follow him at Stromberg Creativity on Facebook and at Bob Stromberg on Twitter. By the way, keep an eye out for his new comedy special on drybarcomedy.com. So I hope you'll do that. By the way, there is lots more tonight, and our very own Keith Bilbrey would like to tell you all about it. Well, coming up, Secrets of the Passion Code with O.S. Hawkins. Then the Grammy-winning singer, Sandy Patty. It's all just ahead on Huckabee. Samaritan's Purse shares the eternal hope and peace found only in Jesus with men, women, and children who are victims of war, poverty, disaster, disease, or famine. They work in more than 100 countries addressing critical needs such as food, clean water, shelter, and medicine. And they also help hurting people in the United States, including wounded U.S. soldiers and their spouses and homeowners devastated by natural disasters. Let me encourage you, please call or visit Samaritan's Purse website today. Join with me in taking the hope of the gospel to desperate, oppressed, and impoverished people all in Jesus' name. Well, my next guest is president and CEO of the largest Christian-based mutual fund of America, a longtime pastor before that, and author of the best-selling Code series. We've had him here before talking about this amazing series. The latest is called The Passion Code, 100 Days with Jesus. It's an honor to welcome back to the show O.S. Hawkins. O.S., thank you. Thank you, Governor. It's a joy to be here. 
His books have sold over 100 million copies. That's a pretty amazing feat. Did you ever foresee that that many people would Not 100 million, close to 2 million. That's what I say. Oh, 2 million people have... <laughs> But yeah. that's still a lot of people. It's, it's amazing the way they've taken off, yeah. How did you come up with the idea? Because this is like several of a series right. of the books. The first one was the Joshua Code, and really the way it came up, uh, I noted that people were trying to read the Bible and having a difficult time. They started in Genesis. If they ever got to Leviticus, they're, yeah, that, they're never going to get through there. That. They start in the New Testament. They get to Matthew, and there are 48 names they can't pronounce. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know, there are 52 verses in the Bible, one for every week of the year that every believer ought to know. And Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. So the Joshua Code was 52 scripture verses every believer should know. You memorize one a week or devotional thoughts on it, and it just took off, uh, ironically. We, you know, we just were amazed. And so I was reading devotionally then through the Bible. I came across something I'd seen a thousand times, uh, but I never saw. We've all had that experience. You bet. And it was the numbers of times Jesus asked questions in the Bible. He's always asking questions. And he was omniscient. He had all the answers. And so it dawned on me that there were 52 Scripture questions hmm. every believer ought to answer. That was the Jesus Code. And they've just developed, and now the Passion Code is uh, uh, really designed as a devotional app for the Easter season to move us to a passion along. You know, no passion we ought to have in life. We use that word a lot. He has a passion for golf. She has a passion for music. But no passion we have ought to exceed our passion for Christ. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to spend time in the Bible, because a lot of people think it's too yeah. complicated. I think, you know, you right. found for the Joshua Code, it helps simplify it. So a lot of people, they open up the Bible and they just don't even know where to start. Right. These devotional books at least get them jump-started. Yeah, because it's not about getting uh, into the Word of God. It's about getting the Word of God into us. Hmm. And, you know, the real secret of them is all the royalties to all these uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, so every one of them that have been so, all the royalties go to Mission Dignity. We're on a mission at Guidestone to bring dignity to some forgotten folks, and that's retired pastors and their widows living at the poverty level in their declining years. That is a very wonderful thing that you do because there are a lot of people who serve, particularly small rural churches, so they didn't have a big pension plan. Right. They didn't have a great retirement setup, and they retire, and, and they're forgotten. They are, and they, most of them lived in a church-owned home. They, had to get, they never made enough to live on, much less to prepare for retirement. So 15 years ago, we were able to help them with uh, $50 a month. It helped, but now, with all these royalties that have gone to them and the money we've raised, the neediest among them get $600 a month. Whoa, that's a, that's a big And I payoff. often tell about a widow who's symbolic of all of them. She wrote me long ago, about last year, and she said, uh, I get to eat at night now, and it's not just a piece of toast. Oh, my 87-year-old pastor's wow. widow. So anytime somebody buys one of these, all the royalties go to support them. I mean, that, that makes, I think, a whole lot of people in the audience want to go get them. Even if they don't read them, they may give them away. But knowing right. that they're actually helping a retired or widowed uh, church servant somewhere out there in the country. Your CEO of Guidestone, largest Christian-based mutual fund in the world, right. probably, I guess, in the history of the world, that seems like that would be a very serious responsibility because if the mutual fund performs well, it means some of those pastors and pastors' wives, they're going to be able to have a retirement. If somehow it doesn't, um, they could be destitute. 
Right, and we have a little a, pressure feeling there. It, well, it's yeah. every day. Uh, it's seven. We have a seventeen billion dollar asset base mm. serving two hundred fifty thousand pastors, missionaries, and school teachers, and Christian colleges, and things like that. We we have some of our funds for for most pastors. You know, most of the people we serve, Governor, are financially illiterate. They don't know a stock from a bond. Yeah. They're out there serving the Lord. They're out there working in pregnancy centers or churches and things like that. And so we have what we call our My Destination funds. Mm. And so they're, they're really, they're uh, date-targeted funds. They just give us the date they're gonna plan on retiring and we drive them there and uh, uh, determined by their time horizon and their risk tolerance. Well, I hope people get the Passion Code. Great experience, 100 Days with Jesus by O.S. Hawkins. Uh, just like the others that he's written in the series, fantastic. And as he said, the royalties of the book go to really a very worthy cause, helping pastors, retired missionaries, and folks that we ought to be loving and caring about. If you want to learn more and find links to purchase the book, visit oshawkins.com. Also, follow O.S. Hawkins at O.S. Hawkins on Twitter and Facebook. Keith, I know what's coming up next, and you know what's coming up next, but our audience doesn't, and they ought to hear this. Why don't you tell them what's upcoming? You better believe it. The Voice, Sandy Batty, is next right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. By the way, Trey Corley, Music City Connection, playing a little song that I think my next guest might have heard a time or two. Would you give a big hand to Trey and the band over there? So great. Now, if you need a remedy for your spouse's grumpiness, I've got just the thing. Go to Huckabee.tv after the show and catch up on some unique news stories like a two and a half ton Snickers bar and a sombrero wearing pigeon. There's no way your codger won't enjoy in case you missed its stories. Well, America fell in love with the voice of my next guest in July of 1986 when she sang the Star Spangled Banner on ABC's Statue of Liberty TV special. Platinum selling records, sellout concerts, five Grammy Awards, and much more. She recently released her stunningly honest autobiography. It's called The Voice. I want you to welcome one of my favorites, somebody I've been looking forward to talking to for a long time, Sandy Patty. Yes. Sandy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's my honor. Hi, everybody. Hi. You got a lot of fans out uh, here. So sweet. Trey, band, just awesome. Really wonderful. You came from a musical family, so I guess it was sort of natural that music would be part of your life. Music has been a huge part of my life. My dad was a minister of music. My mother, a fabulous pianist. So I grew up in the church and grew up singing. That was our language. A lot of people, you know, were athlete families. We were a singing family. Did you sing solos when you were little? My dad said I sang my very first solo when I was about two and a half Whoa. years old. It was Jesus Loves Me in a mm -hmm. little church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which my husband and I are now back in Oklahoma mm. City. But I've, I was really a shy kid. Words were very, very hard for me. And I found music, or music found me. I want to tell you, I read the entire book. 
You're the boys. You're so kind to do that. Thank well, you. no, I, I got into. I couldn't quit. It's just a. It's a powerful book because you're honest, mm. and you talked very honestly and openly about painful things. Yeah. Um, and one that I know is painful, but but you talked about it, and that is that yeah. when you were just a little bitty kid, yeah. your parents left you um, with a lady that everyone thought to trust. Yes. And you were sexually abused by her. Yes. Her, she felt that her pleasure was more important than my innocence. And at six years old, you six don't know old. what to do with yeah. that kind of trauma. You don't have the language for it. And I felt if I would tell someone, if I spoke up and used my voice, yeah. I would be the one to ultimately get in trouble. Mm. So I just kept it silent for 30 plus years. There were probably things that affected your adolescence, mm -hmm. your young adult life, all because of that incident yes. that happened when you were six years old. Did you think about that at the time? I felt like all of my life I had pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. I didn't know that those pieces all went together and told a story. I didn't know how they were related. I just felt like I was damaged goods. Hmm. So I believed all of those things. It didn't occur to me that she could be wrong. Hmm. It more occurred to me, oh, she's just underlining how I already feel. So accepting that God loved me for me, that was a hard one for me. Yeah. I could tell people about it. Yeah. But it was hard for me to see that that was true for me as well. There was a guy that heard you sing and uh, he thought you were pretty good. His name is Bill Gaither. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty good too. He's pretty good too. <laughs> you know, I went to Anderson University yeah. in Anderson, Indiana. Bill and Gloria Gaither live very close there. And so they would hear me sing around campus. My parents knew them. They went to college, you know, together. Hmm. But as they began to hear me, and I would work at his studio quite a bit, one day he called me and said, um, Sandy, we're looking for a backup singer huh. to go out with us on our arena tours. Would you be interested? I said, wow, Bill, let me pray about it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's some things <laughs> that are just That's the quickest prayer easy, you've ever had. <laughs> an easy answer. When was the turning point in Sandy Patty's career that it went from being back there 20 feet from the main microphone to filling the arena? I think the, the Statue of Liberty weekend was yeah. so unusual. You would never think of the Star Spangled Banner as being sort of this career-breaking song. Yeah. Um, but I recorded it because they were, we were raising money for the Ellis Island Foundation. Mm -hmm. Someone said, why don't you do the Star Spangled Banner, put a whole brand new verse to it. So I recorded it, David Clydesdale, who arranged it. I said, please don't write me above a B flat. And when I looked at the chart, it was a D flat. I said, what happened? He said, my pencil slipped. <laughs> so, you know, it's when you were handwriting all the charts. He said, don't worry, you're never gonna have to sing it again outside this recording. So I was home, Liberty Weekend, watching it like everyone else. Uh -huh. Suddenly, Peter Jennings comes on the screen. He says, we're gonna wrap up the whole weekend with this little song from a little housewife in Anderson, Indiana, and played the Star Spangled Banner. And you didn't even know it was going to be on? no idea. The phone started ringing. It was my mother. Then I had to put her on call waiting, you know, because it was call it's waiting not nice to then. put your mother on <laughs> call know. waiting, Sandy. And people started calling and saying, hey, you're on TV. And <laughs> I refer to it as the best gig I ever had because I was home. Yep. And that happened, and the Johnny Carson people watched it. And he invited me to be on the show that week. And it was just kind of one of those surreal things. One reason I hope people get this book, if they don't do it for anything else, is because there are a lot of people who have done things they're deeply ashamed of. Yeah. 
they did things that hurt other people and they don't think God can forgive them and they don't think other people will forgive them and they feel like it's over. It's it. This book, your story, reminds us that God's not finished with us until he makes that decision. Until he makes that call. And And he is the God of second chances and the God of new beginnings. There is restoration that has to happen and restitution on our part. There is an openness that we have to allow people, whether it's my kids or whether it's a church that I worked with, to be able to say to me some of the ways that I hurt them. Mm. But there has to, there comes a point where there's restoration closure, that it is okay to leave those things at the foot of the cross yeah. and move on and let God do a new thing. I want to talk about your newest project, Forever Grateful. Yeah. What a great name, but tell me about that. Well, I wanted to do sort of one last big tour. Mm. I had a band, I had guest vocalists, I had Veritas, um, mm. just an amazing group of guy singers. My family was out with me. Um, We just went all over the country. And I didn't want to say goodbye. Mm. Um, I wanted to, the opportunity to tell the people that I've worked for. You know, I feel like I've called by God, but it's the people that I've worked for. Mm. And I wanted to say to them, thank you. And so um, we just sat around a meeting and I said, you know, what I am is I'm just eternally grateful. And someone said, well, you're forever grateful. Okay, well, that's it. So that's where Forever Grateful became the name of the tour. I asked my friend, Nicole Nordeman, who's a brilliant lyricist. And I said, I have some music and have an idea for a song uh, called Forever Grateful. So I sent her the music. And two days later, she sent back the most beautiful lyric um, that we just kind of ended every night with um, telling the audience, thank you for Mm. how they have blessed me. Well, the book is absolutely magnificent. You're so, thank thank you you for reading it. Thank you for writing it. Mm. It has blessed my life as it will anyone who gets a copy of this book. And I want you to get a copy of Sandy Patty's The Voice, as well as her latest release, Forever Grateful. You can get it by heading to sandypatty.com. And by the way, in just 60 seconds, Sandy's going to be back to sing. So after all, we got to have that. We'll be right back with Sandy Patty. Performed Love in Any Language, accompanied by Trey Corley of the Music City Connection and the governor on bass, plus special vocalist, her son, John Helbering. Would you welcome Sandy Patty?